Welcome, my friend. You are listening to Read Clean YA with CJ, the podcast for teens and young adults who want to explore exciting worlds, deep themes, and epic stories without the objectionable content. I'm your host, award-winning young adult author, CJ Malacy, and in this episode, we are going to dive into an author interview with my friend and fellow young adult author, Tim Shoemaker. Tim Shoemaker is the author of more than 20 books and is a popular speaker at conferences and schools around the country. He is a regular contributor to Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Clubhouse Junior magazines. Tim loves writing contemporary novels for youth filled with mystery, adventure, and suspense, such as award-winning Easy Target, Escape from the Everglades, and the rest of the High Water series. His contemporary suspense novel, Code of Silence, was named in the top 10 crime novels for youth by Booklist. Happily married for more than 40 years, Tim lives in Illinois and still loves working with youth. Tim, welcome to the show. CJ, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited for today's interview because this is a treat for me. Tim was one of the speakers at the first writer's conference I ever went to, and the things he spoke there resonated so deeply in my heart, impacted my writing, and I can honestly say that part of the reason I write the way I do today was because of things that you shared at that conference so many years ago. So I'm looking forward to diving into your High Water series today in this interview and hearing more about your wisdom and insights into the power of story. So could you just Tell us a little bit about your series. Sure. Um, and thank you. Wow, that was a great intro. I love the fact that uh, you were at that conference all those years back. But yeah, the Everglade was kind of where I was starting things out. And uh, I wanted to have a park ranger's son, a national park ranger's son, and put him in this really scary, dangerous spot and uh, because I like writing mystery, adventure, suspense, thriller type things, I thought, oh, my goodness, there's going to be a lot of fuel, you know, for that. And ended up going down there. And that's another story we can get into if you want. But it's this idea of taking this boy, thinking about 14, 15, as this series uh, goes on, and putting him in situations, just a regular guy but put him in situations where he's uh, definitely over his head. He's got uh, some friends when he's in the Everglades there. There's another park ranger family, that daughter, uh, Angelica or Jelly. They're great friends, and they also do a little of this too, right? So that's fun. And uh, he's got another uh, friend down there, Wilson, who's kind of a crazy man. So uh, we follow them, and then the story progresses. We actually change location between the first and second book, and that wasn't the plan oh. initially. No, no, it was never, never supposed to change. But yeah, we, after going down there, I realized I need to change this. So huh. anyway, so leaving you on that cliffhanger. Yes, a cliffhanger indeed. So you actually went down to the Everglades to help you write this story? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd written, I think about, you know, you do your research, right? And written about 50 pages. And I was like, I got to go down there. I've got to feel it. I mean, yeah, you... You've experienced, you can go back on experiences you had in those kind of areas, but I, I had to feel it. And uh, so I lined up some schools to speak at on the way down. So um, I actually spoke for a week in Georgia, and that's how I paid my way. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so then uh, drove the rest of the way and had lined up a few things. I, I had a thing I lined up with a Mississippi Indian guide, you know, out of the reservation that we'd go out 
uh, uh, together and and see some things and uh, did a number of other things. But you know, it was there that yeah, I saw. There's all kinds of fuel to write about. But CJ, I hated the place. <gasps> oh no. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I I hate alligators. Oh. I really do. <laughs> I mean, they are just this terrifying creature, right? And I'm not a big fan of snakes either. And, you know, they're just, you know, that's right. that's the life down there. But those gators are just so terrifying. I wanted to see them. You know, I wanted to get close to them. I wanted to experience it more than you would get if you went to some, you know, alligator farm or sure. something, right? And uh, I wanted to see them at night. I wanted to see the way their eyes glowed at night. And I, I got all that and, and more. Than I bargained for, and and honestly, in the end, you know, I just thank God that I still came back with these. Um, All the fingers, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There was there was at least one really well, two really close calls. So, wow. um, yeah, yeah, I got charged by a gator too. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, at night. Wow. Yeah, that was that was that was scary. I can't imagine. So, <laughs> I would die. Yeah, <laughs> from fear yeah, alone. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was it was crazy. Well, I wanted to experience some of that. Oh, and then I did the craziest thing of all. I'm talking to these park rangers, right? And I'm thinking, man alive, I've got one day left on my research trip. I don't think I have enough. Lord, I don't think I have enough. Lord, I need something. What, you know, what am I supposed to do? And so I uh, went to this the park rangers uh, station. And I'm talking with them and telling them what I'm trying to do. And And so this one ranger says, you know, if you're really looking for the Everglades experience, you ought to take gator hook trail and i'm thinking well i'm looking for the everglades experience what is gator hook trail you know and there was two other rangers and they disagreed with him you know i was like i don't know i don't know and uh, it turns out that in this season it's a wet trail in that you start out the trailhead and that path goes right into the water no of the everglades and every once in a while there's these little spindly trees that grow out and they they hit it with a shot of yellow spray paint so that you can you know find your way and uh i would have never done this if you'd asked me a week before i would have said there is no way on earth i would step into the waters of the everglades not a chance but you know i was desperate and i had been praying for god's leading i thought maybe this is it i wore an orange shirt in case <laughs> I know it's crazy, wow. right? Uh, so it was unbelievable. And so I ended up going probably over a mile from shore, wading out into these Everglades and um, out with, um, I had my gator stick, you know, so if you read the book, we talk about a gator stick. Yeah, it's actually, it's real. I've got one. I made one. And so, you know, it was that experience. At one point, I just felt the presence of evil. Wow. Like I've only felt two other times in my life. Like if I went around this, this bend, you know, like around this real thick brush, I just knew something was there. Mm. And I stood there for, I think, close to 10 minutes just, and I pushed myself. I thought, no, do it, Tim. I probably went 10 feet and that feeling was so strong. Don't go around that bend. Don't do it. And, uh, and what came to my mind is you wanted to experience fear. You've experienced it. You can write. You can write this. You need to turn around and get out. Well, now, you know, I. this has been 45 minutes out right. that I'd taken, you know, and now I want to get back. And suddenly I'm realizing I really need to get back. Like, what am I doing out here? Right. But the ranger had warned me, you know, be careful uh, when you're 
Don't make it so that your pants slosh. You know what I mean? When you're sloshing the water, because that sounds like distress and you'll bring them in. So it's like, <gasps> hurry up, but be careful. Right. And uh, when I got back on shore, I was just elated that I'd made it. But it ended up, all these things, I was thinking I wasn't getting enough on this trip. I was getting so much material. I just didn't recognize it and was able to use that, uh, especially with the one where I almost got pulled off an airboat. By an alligator? Yeah. Oh, my. So. Yeah, it was just crazy. But what I thought at the end of this trip was, I never want to go back. <laughs> I never want to go back. And I knew if I was doing more in the series, I would have to go back. Right. And it was like, you know what? There were too many close calls and God spared me, uh, but I don't want to be foolish. But you know what? He's a park ranger's son. So in the story, we have a boy who gets mauled by a by a gator. Wow. And that happens at the beginning of the story. And that dad puts in for a transfer. And so while he's waiting for that transfer, you know, he's got one friend, Jelly who's going to do everything she can to keep him out of the glades. He's got another friend who wants him to get back on the horse. Get back in there. you got to go. And so when somebody does go missing, he's going to go back in Wow. and be in more danger than ever. So that's kind of that plot of that first one. But uh, he's waiting for that transfer, and this stuff happens then when that transfer goes. And so then we move to another area, and, and there I settled in. It's like, oh, my goodness, I love it there. Oh, so. wow. So that was the big transition when you realized the Everglades are not for me. I need this story, the rest of the series, to take place in another location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's only – I don't want to say there's only so much you can do with the alligators because there's, there's plenty. But I guess it didn't – with what we had in the first book, it's like we can't do more than this or better right. than this. You know what? We'll move on. And uh, so that's what we did. And so that that – brings such a delicious tension to it too uh, because he's got friends back there and he's alone up there and so uh, you know what the Lord just worked it all out but yeah it was pretty clear it was a great place to start the series but I wasn't supposed to keep going (laughs) there yeah Yeah. well it sounds just from your descriptions of what you experienced I can't imagine and I'm excited to dive into the actual story because I'm, I'm over here getting a little freaked out, if I'm honest. And I, I'm just listening to you tell the story about these alligators. Is, and Oh, my goodness. Uh, so I can only imagine that the tension that is woven into the pages of the story itself, because of the experiences you went through, must be great indeed. So if someone's looking yeah, for an edge of their seat <laughs> kind of an experience, it sounds like this book is for them. Yeah, I think I think they'll definitely enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I know you're careful about in your books is that you don't like to make parents look like idiots, which a lot of writers do, especially in the middle grade and young adult genres, because a lot of teens, young adults have some tension at home with their parents. So I think writers want to just write the parent as a villain in some ways and make them look stupid if not the villain. So why is it important to you? And what's your heart behind that? Like, why do you not want to make parents look like idiots? Well, you know, they're, they're not, they're not idiots. They love their kids. They would give their life for their kids. A lot of times they're on two different planes. There's, there's some levels where they don't understand each other. Uh, there's a lot of confusion. The parents going through a lot of things because uh, here's this child that they loved and that adored them once, and then it's, something's changed. And so they're frustrated. They're not sure how to handle it. But I think the ultimate thing is God gave us parents. Mm-hmm. He knew we needed them. And it seems more than a coincidence that in the 
trickiest time of life, the quarter when these teenagers are going to go through the greatest dangers, make the biggest decisions that could impact their life or end it, that that's when they pull away from parents, the ones that love them, at least want to help them step wisely, people who have been there before sure, and they want to help them. So I don't want them to uh, cut away from them. Now, are there going to be some parents that don't do a good job? Yeah. But there's always going to be a parent uh, in the story that you see where their heart is. Yeah. And even if they don't understand each other, even if our protagonist is hiding something from their parents for a period of time, they're going to get to the point where they see that that's the one they really need to talk to. Mm. And that that's, you know... We're not going to let the parent solve the problem, but they need that counsel or a grandparent. I've been experimenting a little bit with that with the um, with this series, right? The high it's called the High Water series, and where there's a grandpa that gets involved, and he gets more involved as the series goes on. Yeah. So far, we've never seen him. Really, it's just yeah, it's just phone call and text. So they have this uh, manhood one on one one on one time where grandpa and and the grandson meet once a week and just talk about some aspect of manhood. And so that's kind of worked in pretty good there too. Nice. I think it's so important because like you said, their parents so often do have this heart of love for their children, but even for the kid or the teen who their parents aren't around or they have a broken family, they don't have that experience. I think a story that shows what it could and should be Mm -hmm. can also be in some ways healing because it's where you can realize, oh, this is what God intended for my parent to be someone I could go to when things get tough or someone I could confide in. And for the kid who has that parent, just for them to hopefully have their eyes open to see like your mom, your dad, they love you. And so either side of that equation coming from a great family, a solid home or one that's broken and, you know, lacking that support system. I think either way, there's so much that can be gleaned from seeing in a story, a parent expressed in a a good and healthy way. Yeah, CJ, I totally agree. I I think you said that so well. And you think about that one with that broken uh, home, not only does it show him that that it can be out there, okay, but it also gives him something to shoot for. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't want to repeat this pattern and he could be different. My, you know, my, my dad was an only, uh, only child and his, his dad was, was absent and preoccupied, you know, most of his childhood. Indeed, sent him away to a boarding school, even type of, I mean, it's just crazy, right? Uh, But my dad was the greatest dad there for me. Are you kidding? He was always there. Everything revolved. He took a totally different uh, way of doing it. Instead of everything revolving around dad, dad was was there and he was just so focused on that family unit mm. and uh, caring for us and loving us. And so it shows me that it could change. And he had some, he had some good mentors, Yeah, you know, in his life uh, that he ended up relying on. Yeah. So. I think that's one of the things that's important to show in young adult fiction is the older mentor character, whether that's the parent or Mm -hmm. the grandparent or somebody who's a little more advanced in years and a life experience who then reaches back and helps the younger person. Because I think that's something we all need in our lives, wherever we're at in our lives. We need people in different generations Mm -hmm. from us who've experienced life before us who can now 
reach back and encourage us and say the things we need to hear because they walked there and they got through it. And we need that in our stories to remind us that we shouldn't just have friends that are only our age. There should be diversity in the people around us who are speaking into our lives because we all need to hear from those who are wiser than us in order to grow and be better who God calls us to be. Absolutely. And that's scriptural. That's that's right out of scripture. Yes. Uh, that idea of the older men and the older women uh, should be speaking into the lives of the younger and, and help them with those priorities and 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 perspective uh, on life. So yeah, I'm with you all the way on that, CJ. Yes. So just for listeners to know, how many books are going to be in your High Water series? Because you've already have, is it three or four out and another one coming soon? Yeah, it it uh, it'll be five books, wow. and uh, it started out. They they took the first one, uh, focus on the family, and and then that quickly turned into a three book contract, and then they they expanded it to a five. So I'm extremely grateful uh, for that. And so book four comes out in November, and then uh, next year book five will come in. Uh, will come out. Book five's done. It hasn't gone through the editing process, but the manuscript is in. So great. Um, so we're, we're on target there. So what's happening. So exciting. And this episode is going to come out in November. So if you're listening to this as it just released, then Tim's mm. newest book is available too. So great Christmas gift opportunity here Four books already mm. available. All right. You write about ordinary kids who get in over their heads and they don't have necessarily special abilities, but you, through your stories, you say you want to show developing character and integrity and trust and more. So I can you just talk to us a little bit about why that's important to you, that it be an ordinary kid? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I try not to make them even a sports hero or anything like that, because I want to reach that ordinary reader out there, the one that says, I don't have a special ability. So this is just this is just me. But, you know, I'm thinking a book, let's say you've got a special ability. Okay. Now, if somebody's reading your book, one of the things we want them to do is, is to identify and resonate with that character so much that maybe they would be inspired to be a little bit more like that, or they would work on that character thing that our character is working on. Uh, but if they've got a special ability of any sort, your book takes one step away from inspiring mm. and one step towards entertaining. It's great to read about, Gee, I wish I had that, but I don't, so I could never be like that. Mm. Oh, well. So I'd rather have just an ordinary person, but give them some character, give them some strength of heart, some determination, some resolve, put them in a situation where, you know, they've got to step up or they're going to be in big trouble. (laughs) You know, uh, things are going to go really bad. Uh, And, you know, when they step up, I think that inspires uh, somebody to do it. That's where you'll not even see generally a uh, description of the characters. I'm not doing the, you know, upfront how this girl character is gorgeous and all this kind of stuff. No, I, I'll describe other things about them, but more about their personality. I want the reader to imagine that they could look like them mm-hmm. just a little bit. And everybody deep down believes that doors open easier for somebody with a pretty smile. So I don't want them thinking that whatever success our character has in the book was due to the fact that they were pretty or handsome or strong or they threw the winning pass at the game and or that they had some supernatural ability beyond what God gives us with his Holy Spirit. 
So anyway, that's that's kind of me, and, and it and it seems to it seems to work. Yeah, well, and it's so God's heart, right? When Samuel comes to anoint a king and he says, God, you know, like what that's what God says through his word there, like that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so to have a story that's really dealing with the heart, in many ways, you do need to make that character ordinary and someone that could be overlooked in many senses from a Mm. standpoint of our culture, even it's not the the best looking or the most athletic or the most popular, but that ordinary everyday person. And then to know that God can work in our hearts to make us extraordinary in the sense that we are becoming more like Christ, right? And that's the most incredible Mm -hmm. person that there is, the one who walks and looks and acts more and more like Jesus. Bingo. Yeah, you hit it. You nailed it. Yeah. Absolutely right. Oh, So your books come from a very Christian worldview and you can, they contain Christian themes. Two of your titles in your series at least come from scripture, right out of scripture as well. But mm-hmm. you really are careful to not make it, quote unquote, hokey Christian fiction. So can you talk right. to us a little bit about that, how you keep it from being hokey, but you also weave in these deep biblical truths? Mm. Well, I think some of the problems with, with you know, it being hokey is, is, first of all, you think of, you know, it being preachy, mm. you know, where somebody happens to recount a sermon. That doesn't happen in real life, not generally, <laughs> right? Um, and so it's just too much uh, to put it in the book. And the fact of the matter is it's been done poorly so often yes. that as soon as you put it in there, our readers are already biased against it. So we're, we have an uphill climb. So uh, the the preachiness, we have to be careful about that. Plausibility, just the believability of it. Sometimes there's things that we've you know read in you know Christian books when we were younger, maybe that were written, let's say, years and years ago, and you're just like, come on, <laughs> uh, you know that that just doesn't seem believable. The way somebody acts or reacts, the dialogue, something that. Uh, no, that just doesn't seem believable. Or or maybe something gets worked out with a simple prayer. Now, yes, God can, sure. with one prayer, he can change everything, but it sometimes seems like it's just too much. And so what I try to do, uh, CJ, is instead of setting out to write a Christian book, what I want to write is I want to write a great story. And we give very real characters, but I'm going to make one of them a Christian. Mm. Oh my goodness, now you're stepping into real life and and you're going to see how they react with friends who could be Christians or at different levels of Christianity or not a Christian at all. So instead of it being a Christian story, we've got a story about a Christian in whatever this setting is. And I think that uh, makes a huge difference. That keeps it from getting hokey. And, you know, if there's somebody opposed to the gospel or some part of Christianity that they just don't understand... I don't want to make them look like an idiot. Yeah. I want them I want to give them the best argument they can. So in one of the books, somebody is struggling with, you know, how can a good loving God allow bad things to happen? Mm. Like what is happening to you? Yeah. Uh this this other Christian character, right? And uh he just cannot get over that. Well, I want to give him a very good argument and and make that very real. But then of course when we see that what that character expects, what they think is going to happen, it doesn't really actually happen that way. And we really see how God comes through. We're able to hit it in a way that just isn't, isn't hokey. A lot of times with, if I start out to, if I, if I'm talking to a writer and they, you know, they want to write a Christian book, I have to, have to walk them down a little bit, just, okay, be careful of these things. Because we think if we write a Christian book, that there's all these things we need in it. 
we need a conversion scene. No, actually, we don't. You know, you can move people just a little bit and bring them closer. And you can take your Christian, one that's not a Christian, you can take your Christian character and deepen their character and their dedication to God. And there's all these progressions, but that conversion scene, it just has done so much. That's why I'm trying to be careful and uh, have all the real issues with a Christian as they face things, but not trying to go through the hoops of what somebody might call a Christian book. And that keeps it. Yeah. From being hokey. Yes. And you address hard questions at the same time that many are struggling with. And I think because of the craziness of the world we live in, that those questions are coming up in, at younger and younger ages of kids. They, they go through really hard things. And so they want to understand how could a loving God do this? How could this be okay when I'm going through such hard things? And we talked about this before we started our recording here, but stories can answer some of those questions. Stories can convey those mm-hmm. truths in a deeper way. And I know that's something that you're passionate about as well as using story to teach in a way that's different than how a lecture might try to say something, but a story mm-hmm. takes us to the heart of it. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that too, if you don't mind, just kind of a little more sure. about the importance of story. Yeah. And, you know, I want to just side note something that you said, CJ, that you you touched on something so important. You said something like they're wrestling with these big issues younger and younger. And you see why it's so important that we don't throw parents under the bus Mm. because they're younger and less equipped to handle that stuff. And so we see, you know, so many suicides Mm. uh, or, or attempts um, boy, you could Google, you know, uh, junior high girls and suicide. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. They need their parents to help give them perspective. They think, oh my goodness, this thing happens and it's the end of the world. No, it's not. It is not the end of the world. And a parent can help them through. But, um, so we don't want to cut them off. And I feel like sometimes there's a, a much bigger, darker conspiracy, if you want to put it that way, by the enemy to keep kids from going to their parents just because we see it so much in in stories and media. So, but you were talking about, yes, sometimes the strongest way to convey truth is through fiction. It takes a little longer, but it sticks. So I write nonfiction and I write fiction. So I can... I could talk about this sort of unbiased, I think, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but when I'm writing nonfiction, let's say I'm writing something to parents, I am appealing to this. I'm appealing to their logic center. I'm appealing to their brain. And I'm I'm trying to convince them of some different things. And I'm hoping that something I say will resonate with them and it'll go from their head to their heart and they'll adopt that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the goal when you're writing something nonfiction, Right. But we process it here in our head. Now, fiction is different. If if you're reading past chapter one, I guarantee you, you are not taking that. This is not a cerebral experience, right? <laughs> you are taking this in through your heart. And so whatever theme, whatever lessons that might be in this story, you don't have to worry about it going from their head to their heart. It's already there. Yeah. And if they're loving these characters, they're going to get that lesson. It is so powerful. And to give you a a biblical example, this would be my favorite, uh, I think, go-to. So we remember, obviously, when uh, King David had totally messed up. 
right? He took another man's wife and he had that man set up to be killed. Horrible thing. But what was David doing after that? He was doing his kingly stuff. He was still going about his duties. He was not broken. He was just carrying on. And that's the way it can be with us sometimes, especially men. I think that, you know, compartmentalize, you know, he was on his to-do list. And you know what? Did he know what was right? Uh, Yeah. He'd read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? He wrote many of the Psalms. He knew all about what was right. He knew the law, but it didn't impact his heart the way it should. And that was not acceptable to God. So what did God do? He sent the prophet Nathan to him with a story. Mm, Yes. Right? And Nathan tells him a story. You know, there's this man, he had this sheep and uh, he loved that little thing. In fact, he raised it up from a little thing and he slept with this thing. That's so much he loved the sheep. Now, of course, David, he's identifying because with his shepherd background, right? And then there was this other man in town. He's a rich man. He had a lot of sheep and he had a guest that came over. You know, and he wanted to make a nice meal for him, but he didn't want to kill one of his sheep. And so he took this man's sheep and he slaughtered it Mm. and he served that for his guest. And David was livid. He was livid. That man was going to pay. And then come those famous famous words from uh, the prophet, right, Nathan. He said, you're the man. You're the man. Now, that truth conveyed through a story ripped him open. And if you look at Psalm 51 in the Bible, that's that. Can I? I'm going to reach for it here. Hold on. That's a very famous psalm, right? That it's, it's, it's like the psalm of confession. Right. It's, that's the one that says things like, you know, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be cleaned. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. It says, uh, you know, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It goes on and on with all these things. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. It is the most heartfelt confession that we'd probably ever read. But when you read that little little sentence right at the top of Psalm 51, it says this. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is what happened. He was so torn. He was so moved after the story. Now his heart broke. Now he came to confession and God was able to, you know, work with that. But it came through a story and sometimes the facts just won't do it. Hey, when we're talking about our our, our kids, we need everything, CJ. We need we need a, a regular around the Bible time, sure. We need uh, something that is active. I'm big on object lesson type devotions, right? Yeah. But don't miss story. The Bible's full of stories that we learn and, and such from. And then great a great novel can also teach us such great things. So parents wanna wanna encourage this as much as they can because this this will help our kids in so many ways. Yeah. Our kids are smart. They're smart. Yeah. They're smarter than me in some of the things, um, you know, with technology, math. I've been too long from it, you know. (laughs) Same. Uh, So they're smart, but they lack experience. And that experience translates to wisdom. And so they need to get nuggets of truth from those who may be a little bit farther down the road that have experienced that. And we're weaving these truths into a story. Yes. I love everything you just shared. And 
I love how you pulled out the story about David and Nathan, because I don't know that I've even put that together until you were talking, how that's such a, a actual biblical example of how God uses stories to touch lives. And I think a lie that many believe is that reading fiction and stories is a waste of time. And yes, yes reading certain fiction might be a waste of time, mm -hmm. which is why we focus on good, clean fiction on this podcast, mm -hmm. because I want to highlight great stories that are going to bring you to the heart of deep issues and allow you to, as you just said, in some so many ways, gain experience through the eyes of a character as you walk through the pages of that book with them. And there's something powerful there. And I think that lie of reading stories is a waste of my time really can rob us of so much that we could learn and and grow in and develop if we would allow God to use stories to teach us in the way I think that he wants to. CJ, you you have put your finger on the pulse. It, yes, yes, yes. The thing of it is, not only are, are we missing something or are our kids missing something, um, it's so important for them. It's not just an enjoyable experience they might be missing. Sometimes I get it when, when you're talking to somebody and they hear you're writing fiction, you know, they're like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like as if this is kid stuff. No, no, no. I tell you, well, for me, what is harder to write, nonfiction or fiction? Oh my goodness. Absolutely, positively, fiction is much, much harder. Wow. I could write nonfiction much quicker. You're just sharing your, your thoughts, your opinions on things. Oh, yes, you can do your research and have all your footnotes and <laughs> quote what everybody else said. And you just have a compilation of what's been out there. But fiction's a lot harder to write. And so you've got to weave that in without going hokey. So another example, you know, a, a biblical example, think about this one. Jesus went about teaching in the synagogues. We know that it says that he went from town to town teaching in the synagogues. We know at one point he pulled out Isaiah and he read from there. But how many sermons do we have that Jesus taught? One. God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to only give us one sermon. Wow. But he gave us tons of his stories because the nuggets of truth that those would teach were enough and it would take us where we needed to go. But our our Christian world, our culture, has turned it upside down. We don't hear stories enough from the pulpit, in my opinion. I don't mean just the silly, frivolous things, but stories that can make a difference. Yes. You know, whether it be somebody's testimony or what it is, we need those because we can compartmentalize the facts. But it's, it's a problem. I mean, even go to Christian radio broadcasts. How often do we hear the latest, greatest new book on marriage or parenting or whatever it is? It's nonfiction. Yeah. And they're missing this whole thing because when it comes down to it, the weaker tool on the tool belt is nonfiction. So think about that. If you really want to impress something with your kids, you can use the facts. You can use nonfiction, but realize you're not using the strongest tool. When David... Right. When yes. David had all the facts, he had written some of them, uh, you know, by <laughs> inspiration. Right. God had to send in the big guns. OK, well, the facts isn't going to work. It's time to hit him with a story. Right. And he did it. Uh, so powerful. And I think an encouraging reminder, because stories are also fun. Like there's an adventure to be had when you start mm -hmm. on the first page of a new story. You're going to traverse through these few hundred pages with a character and discover new things and have your heart beating too fast in moments, hopefully, right? That's what a good book does. It takes us on an mm -hmm. adventure. So it's fun, but yet 
I love that that's how God is. He chooses to delight us as he teaches us. And I think we can make him just the, you know, 10 commandments God in our head, but the Bible Mm -hmm. is not just the 10 commandments. He then goes on and just uses story after story, life after life to show us what it looks like to follow him. And he can still use stories for us today. And I know your books will do this for readers, allow them to go on adventures where they learn. And that's why I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation with you today, because I hope many go and grab your books. And I know they'll find a great adventure, but also life lessons that will stick with them for years to come. So thank you for just taking the time to share all of these things today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Definitely. Well, we're unfortunately running out of time. I know this went uh, so much faster than I anticipated. So we'll have to have you on again, hopefully in the future, talk more about your, you have more stories than just this series. So hopefully we can chat again about those. But before we go, could you just let readers know where they can find you and your book? Well, uh, they can find me at uh, timshoemaker.com. So that'd be an easy way to connect up with me. But the books they can get on Amazon or their Christian bookstore, wherever they would go. But yeah, they're uh, easy to get as well. Perfect. Thank you. And I'll have links to your website and Amazon links for your books in the show notes as well. So people can grab them nice and easy. So Tim Shoemaker, thank you so much for being here today on Read Clean YA with CJ. This conversation really was an encouragement to me. Oh, so, so great. Thank you, CJ. And for all those uh, that are joining us uh, today, I'm glad you were there too. I hope you had fun listening in on this conversation with Tim Shoemaker. As I'm sure you could tell, this conversation was one I thoroughly enjoyed. In fact, I enjoyed it so much, we went longer than usual. So I'm going to keep this ending short and sweet. If you're looking for edge-of-your-seat adventures, especially books that will appeal to boys, I encourage you to check out Tim's books. They have intense moments, but Tim's heart for his readers shines through. He has also graciously agreed to be part of our epic Christmas giveaway, and he's including a copy of Escape from the Everglades, the first book in his High Water series. So be sure to head over to the giveaway page and enter for your chance to win this book, along with all of the other amazing goodies in the Christmas giveaway. Next week, I'll be talking with young adult author RJ Conti, and it was a great conversation, so be sure to tune in. Thank you so much for listening to Read Clean YA with CJ. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend so they can discover exciting, clean, young adult books too. 